This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. This program is also available as a podcast by going to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud or Spotify and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. You can also find it at rsn.net.au. Just click on Programs, then Women's Australian Rules Football. It's a special edition of the show this week as we'll be chatting to members of all six teams participating in the AFL Asia Championships this Saturday in Pattaya, Thailand. Also coming up on the program, Brian Barish interviews the Philadelphia Hawks' Eric Asaki about the recent USA Freedom Camp. On the way, we've got interviews with some of the coaches who will be taking part in the VFLW final series commencing this weekend. Lauren Hodson looks forward to the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division final series. And Ant Wingard takes a look back at the Queensland Australian Football League Women's Grand Final that was played last Sunday. That and plenty more coming up on the program. Now, I want to start off the first half of the program by saying that we pride ourselves on being the only women's footy show that focuses not just on AFLW, but women's footy at the state league level in Australia, at grassroots level, and more importantly, what's happening on the International Women's Australian Football Front. We focus a lot on what's happening in North America and in Europe, but to be honest, we've been a little neglectful of what's been happening in our own backyard around the AFL Asia competition, and that's where some exciting growth has been. Last year was the first ever AFL Asia Championships with the women's division. It was held in Malaysia. Sides from Cambodia, Malaysia, Hong Kong and Vietnam took part in the tournament. The Vietnam Lady Swans were the eventual champions. This year, the competition has increased by 50%. Two new teams. The Thailand Tigers will host the tournament at the Thai Polo Equestrian Club in Pattaya, Thailand and also the Singapore Womets. And in fact, I'm told three other sides have started up who may join the tournament next year, including two out of Indonesia, one from Bali and one from Jakarta, and also a side from Japan. I'm pleased to say that we've got representatives from all six women's teams taking part in the AFL Asia Championships joining us on the line. And we're going to start, first of all, by chatting to one of the debutantes, that's being the Singapore Womets, and we've got on the line from their side... Kim Chow. Kim, how are you? Good. How are you? Hi, Peter. <laughs> Great to have you on the line calling in from Singapore. Now, first of all, I need to ask, what's your sporting background? What did you play as you were growing up? Yeah, so I used to live in Sydney, so I actually played soccer for Sydney uh, United, um, as well as for Northbridge Football Club when I was living there. And when I moved to Singapore, I was actually part of the Singapore Gaelic Lions, so that's Gaelic football, Irish football, kind of similar to AFL. But, you know, slightly different round ball for starters. And, of course, we now find you in Singapore. So the question should be asked, how did you obviously go from Sydney to Singapore? What brought you there? And how did you stumble across the Singapore Wombats, which were originally the men's side? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I grew up in Singapore. So I moved to Australia for university. And, of course, you know, being from Sydney, you kind of are really exposed to Australian football and see footy everywhere. Um, I was there when the Sydney Swans actually won the championship, so that was that was <laughs> that was really interesting. Um, so when I moved to Singapore, there was there wasn't actually any sporting teams around um, besides the Gaelic Lions, which is, as I said, Irish football, quite similar. Um, and uh, I think I was just online one day, and um, an ad popped up for the Singapore Wombats that then our communications manager actually put up. And I thought, like you know, that's really interesting. You know, there's never been a Singaporean um, female 
uh, AFL team. So I thought that'd be really cool to just try out. Um, so I got in touch with Ben and then he kind of, um, you know, started asking me to like, you know, get the Irish team involved as well because there's a lot of crossovers except with the rules. And then we kind of started from there, like just got a WhatsApp group together, arranged for a training session. And like, I think the first, the first time we actually trained together, like 11 girls turned up mostly from the Irish team, but we started, you know, even at the balance. Now we're actually having Australian team members, about five of them. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And how valuable has the Australians' experience been in uh, teaching, obviously, the skills, the structure, the setup, etc., considering you're starting right from scratch, right from ground zero? Yeah. So, I mean, they've been invaluable, like, honestly. Uh, it's just so different having someone who's actually played in a competitive environment. So we've got someone called Catherine McLean, who used to play for um, in Australia when she was growing up, and then she moved over to uh, the Malaysian Warriors, and she, we're really lucky to have her join this year. Um, and it's, it's been great. So I think um, one thing that's really different from any kind of football or any kind of like Irish football uh, games that I played before is the terminology. So trying to get used to that, what a pocket is, what a ruck is, and just having someone actually be able to explain it um, as well as, you know, kind of incorporate the fact that women play very different from men. Um, not taking away whatsoever from the coaches that we have. They're absolutely fantastic. But women just play slightly differently, and it's just amazing to actually play with girls who know what they're doing as well. Can you tell us what the squad numbers are looking like at the moment and I guess what percentage uh, from Singapore natives and, and where other uh, players are coming from? I'm hearing in Thailand they've got Americans and even British footballers. Yeah. So we've got a real melting pot of cultures, actually, in our team. I think there are three Singaporeans. There are um, about four Australians, mostly Irish. Um, but we do have a few English um, English girls come down, like from rugby backgrounds as well. So that's really great. Um, everyone's kind of like melding together. And I think that's like the power of sport as well. Um, it's really good at bringing people together, no matter what your backgrounds are, no matter what language you speak. This is fantastic. Like we've been having a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of, you know, nights out as well, not just on the pitch, but we'll actually go out together, go for a few karaoke sessions, <laughs> down to the club. So it's been really great getting to know all these different cultures as well. And what's that uh, been so, like? And I was just yeah. saying, what's that been like, that club atmosphere? Because I hear from the Americans quite often who have taken up playing Australian football. They're used to post-college sports. They might play on a social team, and that is when they play on a team, they, for example, meet at the basketball court, play the game, but then disperse immediately after. This whole club culture concept is quite new to them. What about for most of the girls in Singapore? Is this their first time they've experienced being part of a club? Yeah, so I think that's one thing that probably sets us all apart. Most of us kind of have sporting backgrounds. So, you know, we're quite used to actually sitting on the pitch after a game, um, sitting after training. So I think the Wombats, so the men's side, have been really good at getting us all together. And they put out beers after after training. And you just kind of like go there, you know, have a, have a talk, debrief on what you've learned, what you could do better. But not only that, just kind of like catching up in each other's day, each other's lives. Like it's so it's so interesting to come to a country like Singapore and then meeting people from all walks of life. Like I think that's also amazing. Like you know you're having friends outside of work, but then at the same time, like your teammates, a lot of them are like you know they're so physiotherapists, so have teachers, people working in technology. So I work for tech. Um, they're engineers as well as you know nurses, and I think that's that's the best thing. Like just finding out what everybody else does and how their lives are. Like it's, it's been really good. So this is the first year together for the Singapore Womets. Um, how much of an opportunity have you had to play against opposition and how have you fared in your first year? <laughs> Look, like um, it, it is the first year, so we haven't really had that much chance. Uh, we got invited to go down to KL, so 
huge shout out to the Malaysian Warriors. Thank you so much for hosting us. Um, but I think when we went there, we only went with a team of 10 girls because not many people were comfortable with like, you know, playing a sport competitively, firstly. Um, and not only that, like, you know, it's, it's quite hard to get leave as well. So I think we started off with 10 girls um, and we did lose the game. But at the same time, uh, we were also, you know, very, very shorthanded and it was really hot. And it was like probably the first time most of the girls who went to Malaysia um, actually tried playing. Uh, we also had like an international rules game against the Gaelic Lions as well. So that's been quite helpful, like having, you know, the, the cross club kind of uh, atmosphere as well. So, you know, kind of playing in the Gaelic tournaments, they're coming in to play against us as well. Just gives a bit of more of a competition that we don't get. Because um, at the moment, they're only about like, I say, 20 girls who turn up every training. And that's just not enough to, you know, try out all the tactics and the strategies that we talk about. So let's talk about the better players of your side. As you said, you've had not much of an opportunity to play together, but from the scratch matches yeah. and from training that you've had so far, who's been some of the standout footballers that you hope will be going well for you this weekend in Thailand? Yeah, so I think I've mentioned one of them, um, Catherine McLean. So she's actually Australian. She's fantastic and she's so helpful. Um, and, and honestly, like I think without her, the team wouldn't be the same. Like she's the first person to always push everyone like people that you did well in the pitch um you know she's doing all the high fives all around that kind of like builds up the club atmosphere builds up a confidence a little bit um another girl would be Sinead Kennedy so she's from Tipperary in Ireland and she's fantastic so she's played camogie her whole life so you know sporting kind of comes quite naturally to her she's very quick and she's in the midfield so with Kat and Sinead in the midfield I think that's great um apart from that we have another girl who um named Grace Bertigan and she's amazing. So she's never played any ball sport prior to coming to Singapore. Um, I think anyway, I, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure anyway. Um, so she is a swim coach, um, at one of the, uh, schools here in Singapore. And, you know, she's taken to it like a fish in water, like <laughs> fun intended, but like, yeah, so she's fantastic. And to see someone with no sporting background actually come up and, you know, she's just bossing it in defense. Like seriously, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't be want to, you wouldn't want to be in path. Like if <laughs> if she's running towards you with the ball, you just want to get out of the way. So I think those three girls are definitely ones to watch for us. Now you'll be one of the two debuting sides in the tournament this weekend, along with the Thailand Tigers. You'll be up going up against the likes of the Hong Kong Dragons, Cambodia, Malaysia, yeah. and the reigning champions, the Vietnam Swans. Um, what are your expectations and hopes uh, going into this uh, inaugural tournament for the for the Singapore Womets? Yeah, so um, of course I'm going to say, like, I really hope that we all have fun. We come away with no injuries. But at the same time, I think we put in a lot of effort, like um, shout out to, you know, our coaches, uh, Bondi and Maka, as well as our communications manager, Ben. They put in so much time and effort into training us. So I do hope we at least um, come in, you know, top half of the table. Uh, I think that's, that's probably at the moment quite a bit of a, you know, if, if we if we do get there, like I'll be, I'll be so happy and just so grateful that everyone's actually turned up to begin with. So, um, yeah, so fun. No injuries. Uh, I hope it's not too hot in Thailand or it's not raining. Um, and I really do hope that we'll, we'll, you know, we'll get somewhere. <laughs> and finally, just before we let you go, in case any Aussies uh, next year, particularly on their holidays, are planning to go through Asia and make a stop in Singapore, if they want to hang out and train or even play a game with the Singapore Womets, how can they find the club on uh, social media? So we're very active in social media. I think you can find us if you put in Singapore Wombats AFL team in Facebook, it will lead us to um, basically the men's team. But at the same time, we're building up our social media presence as well. If you just 
maybe put a private message into there. Uh, ben will be able to forward you on to me, and I'll just make sure you come down for training. <laughs> so no, there's no obligations whatsoever. Uh, you don't have to come for all four trainings that we do a week. Come for the one. Come whenever you want to. Like seriously, just come down. We're a great group of girls, and we're always looking for more hands. Well, Kim, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish the Singapore side all the very best as you make your debut at the AFL Asia Championships in Thailand this weekend. Awesome. Thank you so much, Peter. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, as we look to the AFL Asia Championships, they're a side that were runners-up last year against the Vietnam Swans. They are the Hong Kong Dragons, and on the line we have got Jess Cole. Jess, how are you? I'm well, thank you. It's a sunny but wet and hot day in Hong Kong, so um, very uh, getting very excited for Asian Champs this weekend. So let's talk about first about your sporting background. Um, first of all, what did you play growing up and when did you first get involved in women's footy? Well, I was um, a young Kick enthusiast, um, but unfortunately when I was growing up in Melbourne, Victoria, um, I stopped playing when I was about 12 um, and continued on with athletics and netball. So I didn't actually come back to AFL until I was about 26, 27 um, so there was there was a bit of a skills gap there, but um, um, you know, great opportunity to actually start playing again um, as a, as an adult. So how did you end up in Hong Kong? So I came here for work. Um, I work in finance, like a lot of people um, here, and actually transferred from from Melbourne to Hong Kong uh, four years ago now, actually. And um, as part of that move, I looked up uh, sporting clubs, and there's a big sports culture here and came across um, the Hong Kong Dragons, which surprised me a bit that AFL would be in such a, a small place like Hong Kong. But um, I sent them an email to see if I could come and train, and, and the rest is history. So what has it been like trying to get the women's program up there with the Hong Kong Dragons? Over how many years has this evolved? So we kicked off uh, last year, so February 2018, with um, a clinic. Um, and this basically came off the back of... Um, me wanting to really get AFL and um, women's sports here a bit more recognition. So, as I said, there's a long history of sport here, but um, like in many other countries, women playing sport and continuing to play sport um, is is a bit of a is a bit of a problem. It's not it's not as well funded and it's not as well communicated. So, uh, off the back of the huge success of AFLW in Australia, um, we held a women's clinic. And it's kind of spurred from there. So a lot of word of mouth, um, a lot of uh, kind of come and have a try and basic skills education, as well as just trying to get as many people involved as possible. So it's really grown from me <laughs> at the start of um, February 2018. So we have um, a 26-player strong team going to Asian Champs this weekend in Pattaya, Thailand. Um, so a fantastic result given that there's a lot of other sports you can play in Hong Kong um, that are very popular and, and, and well advertised. So I think it's only something that's going to grow. That is some fantastic numbers coming out of Hong Kong, a 26-person squad. And I should ask, what is the makeup when you look at um, how many Aussie expats in the side compared also with, I'm imagining, a number of Irish girls crossing over from Gaelic and, and how many uh, Hong Kong or Chinese nationals? So we have um, uh, quite a few Aussies, um, obviously. I think given the just recognition or, you know, albeit vague understanding of the game, um, we get quite a lot of Gaelic players, which is fantastic. 
Um, there are some rugby players. We have some netballers, uh, some soccer players, some tennis players. So it's really, um, I think, a sport that has been attractive to people who already play sport. Um, and also when we play here, because we play over the summer, it's kind of the off-season. So we're kind of finding a natural um, place in the kind of sporter, sporting ecosystem of Hong Kong. Um, we have currently five to six um, uh, Hong Kong nationals, which is fantastic. And in AFL Asia, to actually play in the, the tournament, you need to make sure that you're actually investing um, in the local countries. And um, it's been a really, really great response so far. Of course, last year at the tournament, uh, you came runners-up to Vietnam. Um, how much of a changeover has there been from the squad last year? And out of some of the new players you may have uh, got, who, are, who have they been and have any um, stood out in their inaugural season of playing Australian football? So from last year to this year, I'd say the squad is very different. Um, myself and um, Kira Fitzsimmons, who's a, a co-captain, um, are consistent as well as um, a few others. But uh, I think given the nature of um, life here, there are people who come and go because of work and lifestyle. But um, we've had a really good response of people coming back throughout the year, which is a good sign that um, they'll continue to keep playing. Um, and also that there's just an interest in, in more skill development and, and learning more about the game. So I think squad-wise... Uh, different um i wouldn't say better but different and i think the enthusiasm is definitely really really high so who to watch on the day as i said uh kira fitzsimmons who actually is an amazing hockey player as well um she uh she's going to be great i think in the midfield um we've got claire purcell who's a fantastic um uh, gaelic player so expecting to see some goals from her uh, we've got Katie Clatt, who unfortunately recently left us to go back to the US, but she's going to be fantastic as half-back, and I think you may even see some sneaky goals from her. Um, and I just think the the midfield for us is, is really strong this year, and I think um, you know we're all going to have a go at kicking some goals. So over 2019, how often have you had the opportunity to either as a scratch, an inter-squad scratch match or against other countries uh, had the opportunity to play? So we haven't had as much as we would like. Um, again, touring is something that's very big in um, Asia, AFL, because that's usually the only way that you get to play against anyone. Um, so we did get to have um, a great scratch match in May. Um, the inaugural Bohemia Cup was held here in Hong Kong against Vietnam. So um, we had a fantastic time seeing the ladies again. And um, I think it really built that enthusiasm for um, the Asian champs this weekend. Um, but we're really hoping in 2020 that we'll do be able to host more teams, but then also be able to just play more matches against other women's teams. This year you'll be coming up against uh, Cambodia, Vietnam, Malaysia and new sides in Singapore and Thailand. What do you expect as you come into this tournament and how do you think you'll fare, considering you finished runners-up last year? I think there's some high hopes for us and um, I also have high hopes but I also just want to have fun and I've, in, I've said that to, to our team and I think that's the general consensus across all the women's teams in Asia of how great this is that, you know, this is only the second year and there's already six teams playing. Um, I think whenever there's a strong Gaelic side in a country, the AFL team seems to be pretty good. So I think Singapore might um, pull out some punches, even though they're they're very very new, and um, I think the Thailand team as well are going to be um, going to be formidable.
And finally, just quickly thinking post beyond the AFL Asian Championships, we know next year it's IC 2020, which will be sometime in July or August, possibly in Melbourne, even though there's been whispers of a, of a different location. Uh, has there been talk in the AFL Asian community of uh, either a country or a combined Asian women's team going across to the International Cup next year? I think we would love to. And I think um, after every chance, we have uh, Asia, all Asia players which are selected. So this could really be the springboard in which um, these discussions start seriously happening. Um, as I said, I think it'll be a, a hot topic this weekend. Um, and I look forward to seeing how that progresses. But we'll just have to wait and see. Well, Jess, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you and the Hong Kong Dragons all the very best in Thailand this weekend at the AFL Asia Championships. Thanks very much. I'm excited. And joining us on the line now here at RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival as we preview the AFL Asia Championships being held in Thailand this weekend. We've got on the line the Irish captain of the Vietnam Lady Swans. I never thought that would be a sentence I'd say. It's great to have on the line Naomi Reedy. Naomi, how are you? Hi, dear. I'm good. Thanks for the call. Great to have you on the line. Now, first of all, I need to ask the question, what is an Irish woman doing in Vietnam? Oh, somebody, my friends gave me a call, said, do you want to go travelling? And sure, us Irish, I was, if, you, if I give you the money, book me a ticket and I'll follow. And, of course, you've been in Vietnam for how long now? Uh, about three, three years, three and a half years. So absolutely loving the place. Now, I need to know, how did an Irish woman discover Australian football in Vietnam? Um, and it's funny because um, Irish, a few of my Irish friends actually set up a Gaelic football team in Vietnam because there was no, uh, there was no AFL team. And then just getting to know the Swannies, um, there was no AFL ladies team back three years ago. Um, so it was all Gaelic, and then slowly but surely, a couple of more Irish and a couple of more um, Australian, American, English, Canadian. We just joined forces and decided, hey, why don't we try the oval ball? We give the oval ball a, a kick around. That is fantastic to hear. And before we just jump back to present day, a little bit about your past. Were, were you just a Gaelic footballer, or did you play other sports back home? Um, Gaelic was my number one. Anything to do with Gaelic, the Gaelic football, oh, was my love, my passion. Um, and it, it also meant I could get out of class every once in a while. And even in college, that's what I'd done, health and leisure. So always sporty, always had a sporty background. Um, anything, if you ever needed to count on anybody to, to kick a ball, give me a call and count me in. <laughs> but Gaelic, would, Gaelic was my number one. There was a bit of basketball here and there but the skill is the Gaelic. Well, you're captain of the side. That must be your pretty handy footballer. Uh, what role do you currently play with the Lady Swans? Um, I'd be midfield. I never thought I'd be able to play midfield, um, but I, even just getting the love the love of the game, it's just non-stop. It's the physicality I actually love compared to the Gaelic. You know, the Gaelic is a little bit softer, whereas when it comes to AFL, I feel like there's no rules. <laughs> which suited me down to the ground. It was a bit a bit tougher. Before we talk about the 2019 version of the AFL Asia Championships, the Vietnam Lady Swans came away with the championship last year after defeating the Hong Kong Dragons. Can you explain that moment? Mm-hmm. Oh, we we were going in and it was it was a, a struggle of a year. 
But uh, people were coming and going. And then just on the day, again, I said, it's not about the quantity of numbers you had. It's about the quality. And we didn't have the biggest squad, but we had the heart, we had the guts, and we had the willpower. And to, 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 when that final whistle went, oh my goodness, it was the best feeling in the world. Can you explain how Could much? Not be tough. Can you explain how much the side has turned over since that grand final last year, and how many new players you've brought into the team? Um, it's huge. Um, it's fantastic to be a part of um, the AFL, especially the women's side. Um, the growing participation of the, the local Vietnamese women is just fantastic. Um, it's a bit different over here. You know, people don't like going into the sun, but we have uh, about seven or eight now local women um, who are unbelievable. Um, they're, they're, they're quick, they're nippy. Uh, a lot of soccer players, um, the, the growth on that side has just been fantastic. Again, with Getting new players along the way, especially living abroad, you lose some players. And we've lost we've lost a couple of handy players, but there'll always be people filtering in. And how have you gone so far in 2019? I believe you've been playing some games throughout Indochina uh, throughout the year. We have. Um, it's actually been a very good year for um, Vietnam in general when it comes to AFL and the Gaelic football um, because we actually won both the Gaelic football. I was captain of both teams, so I'm very lucky to be bringing, I brought home two cups for the Asian Gaelic Games and for the AFL Championship. And we had a big, big game against Hong Kong. And oh, we were flying over and Malaysia helped us out with a couple of players. And that, to me, that was one of our standout games. We were going in and I'd never say it, but you know, I was a little bit nervous. However, Come the second half, we got a second wind and we just didn't let our heads drop. That was huge for us. And I, I think Hong Kong thought, you know, looking at us, oh, they have this one. We, we'll, we'll show them, we'll show them what, a, what we could have done in the champs, but we, we held our own. And who have been some and of again, the... again, even, even with Cambodia, Cambodia, again, have they're always coming over to us. We're going over to them. We have a lot of tournaments and that's our neighbours there fantastic for playing for um having a couple of scratch games and everything so it's it's good to have good neighbors who want to play and who have been some of the better players over the past uh, handful of months as you lead into the tournament that's really started to hit some form um oh there's a couple genie um obviously our player coach chia is absolutely outstanding the, the backbone of the team um, unbelievable the heart and what she does for the club not just the ladies but even for the men's as well it's outstanding um, we lost a, we lost a key player it was actually our goal kicker of the, the season of our the championship last year Lou um, she's gone back to New Zealand uh, so unfortunately we're missing her this uh, this this time round but we also have a powerhouse uh, one a very athletic uh, lady uh, Steph uh, an English girl. Um, I could go on. We have a Canadian called Heather. I wouldn't mess with her. You know, she's uh, she's fantastic. And we have a couple of newbies as well who only have one or two games under their belt. However, they'd be ones to watch. They have a, they can definitely mark a ball in a, and kick a ball. So between Chia, Steph, I'd love to say myself as well. I'll put myself out there. There's, there's a few, even our local players, Lynn and Lucy, they got... Um, they got 
the awards last year for um, the best Vietnamese player and most outstanding. Um, so Lynn and Lucy will be our Vietnamese ladies who are ones to watch big time. And how do you feel coming into this tournament about your opposition? You already know Cambodia, Hong Kong and Malaysia having played them in the past, but there's a couple of new sides in there, including the host country, Thailand and Singapore, who I'm told have a lot of Gaelic footballers in their side. They do, and there's actually one of our um, our old players, one of our old lady swannies on the, the Singapore team, uh, Nona. She'd be one to watch as well. Um, she was our captain last year. Um, so she's now playing with Singapore. So uh, there'll be, a, I'm sure, a shoulder or two on the field. Um, but cannot wait to see what Cambodia and even there's a new, a new Gecko team, Bali have a team. Um, it's just fantastic to see. I wouldn't say I'd be a little bit nervous, but it's more excitement to see what everybody has to offer, what everybody has to bring to the table. And just to see the skill and game developing for ladies is huge. So which I've got to wait. So I, have, I haven't had anybody watching their trainings, but uh, we'll, I'm sure I'll give a walk around before the games and I'll have to suss who has a, who has a nice kick, who's wearing nice boots. Well, let's look ahead to 2020 because that's the International Cup. As uh, we've talked about already on the program, there's hopes that uh, the Asian women, whether as a nation or as mm-hmm. a combined uh, a continent, will be able to field a team mm-hmm. at IC 2020. But yourself... You're Irish. How would you feel if you end up getting the phone call from Mike Coran, the coach of the Irish Banshees, to say, look, we know you're in Vietnam, but we've heard about you and we want you to put on a Banshees jumper? Oh, my goodness. I, I, I'd i probably drop the phone, number one. Uh, he'd probably have to tell me sit down. It would be an absolute dream. It would be fantastic. But even again, the skill of the, the players over here is fantastic. Again, you said that there's loads of new Irish girls being brought over, which is fantastic. I'm following them all on Facebook and I'm, it's just great to see the, the development. But that's what everybody's aiming for over here, I think. Everybody, you know, is is thinking, especially anybody Irish like myself or English or American, the goal would be, could we, could you slip into into us and, and could you kick, kick a ball, you know? Could you, could you do it for fun? And, even even better as well. And what has been the general vibe amongst the girls? And I'm talking about uh, just past the expat Aussies, the Irish, the American, the British, and of course uh, uh, the, the local uh, Asian women that throughout the respective countries uh, for the opportunity for them to via watch AFL, watch the games online, watch the AFL matches. What have they thought about the development and this semi-professional women's competition that's been in existence now for three years? Um, it's fantastic. It really is. And it's so, it's great to see because um, my teammates, as I said, Lynn, Lucy, um, we even have people from the Philippines. Um, and there's, a, I think, three new girls who've joined and they never get to go traveling. You know, they don't get the opportunity. You know, they're working. Whereas joining this community, they have reached, so, they've gotten to know so many more nationalities, so many more cultures. And they're loving it. You know, the, the opportunities that they're getting out of the AFL is fantastic from the Vietnamese ones. And the gratitude and the effort that they put in is just been second to none. It really is fantastic. I, I, cannot, I cannot say how amazing it is for, for, for them and for the development. We, we're looking at developing with the orphanages, 
So all around, big plans and with the way it's going, it's going up and up. So it's a lot of hard work, but it's very, very rewarding and worth it. Well, Naomi, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you and the Vietnam Lady Swans all the very best in Thailand this weekend when you defend your AFL Asia Championship title. That's it. Ready for it. Cheers, Peter. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival as we continue our look at the AFL Asian Championship being held in Thailand this weekend. It's great to have on the line representing the Cambodian Apsaras, Hannah Slaughter. Hannah, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you on the line. And first of all, what is an Aussie doing over there in Cambodia? Uh, there's actually more uh, people than we thought over here, more of us. Um, but I moved over here permanently in 2016 um, after coming over here for a short contract as a dive instructor um, and just never really left. So I'm a, a PE teacher over here and Cambodia is my home now. Well, as you mentioned being a PE teacher, what was your sporting background prior to moving to Cambodia? Um, I grew up kind of being that kid that... <laughs> did a lot of sports and was mediocre at all of them um, and just wanted to get my hand in everything. But probably my main sports growing up was netball. I'm actually from Queensland, so footy was never really on my radar um, growing up. And then as an adult, I actually started playing social, just mixed AFL 9, um, you know, on a Tuesday night or what have you. And the president of the football club that I ended up playing for was there one night and came over and asked me if I thought about playing footy, so um, I played one season with the Wilson Grange Gorillas in the Quaffle back in 2016, um, and then yeah, straight after our season finished, I moved directly over to Cambodia and kind of ended up starting the Ansaras. So apparently, I was the um, you know the most informed, the expert on the team, but I still actually only had one season, and I was still learning the game myself. So what's it been like trying to get talent together in Cambodia to play? What's the, what's the makeup of the squad? Um, it's actually really surprising. We have such um, an amazing group of girls um, that have been going for, you know, we're in our third season. So when we put the call out back in at the end of 2016, we really had no idea what to expect. Um, and at our first training um, was January 2017. And we had about 10 expat girls uh, show up. And then out of the dust kind of came this um, truck full of Khmer girls. So we're actually um, one of the teams in all of AFL Asia with the most um, local involvement. So we're probably sitting at, I'd say, 60% um, local Khmer players and 40% um, expats ranging, you know, Australians, English, America, uh, Irish. And yeah, but um, we're very proud of um, the Khmer girls that we have and the numbers that we have playing as well. That is a fantastic effort. And, and for the local girls, for many of them, is, is this their first taste of sport or were they crossing over from other sports, in particular soccer? Um, a few of them had played soccer, um, mainly just at school, um, not really as a dedicated sport. Um, but yeah, most of them, this is, this is definitely their first taste of competitive sport at least. Um, you know, when we first started, we had a lot of them training in like long sleeve tops and tights um, because, you know, even being in the sun was a big deal for them. Um, and just to see the kind of change in them and the confidence they've, they've got from a team sport, especially being footy, you know, being a contact sport, um, 
it's just incredible. Yeah, we, we love the Kamai players. Um, we're all a big family and just to see their development um, on the field and off the field over the last three years has been absolutely phenomenal. Now, this is not the first AFL Asia Championships for the Cambodian team. What lessons did you take out of last year's tournament? Um, last year, we I think we really went in as the underdogs. I mean, being having such um, huge numbers of Khmer girls, they're obviously generally a lot a lot smaller than um, any of us expat players. So we are generally normally always the underdogs, um, but we kind of like that. But we've had a really amazing year this year. Um, and I really don't think we're going in as underdogs this year. We're, we've got an amazingly strong team and, a, and quite a big squad going over. Um, so that, that build of confidence going over, instead of being, you know, a little bit tentative, we're really going in gung-ho. Um, and, you know, we're going there to win this year, absolutely. And what's the form been like this year? How many games have you managed to uh, play and how have you fared? Uh, we started off the year with a game against Malaysia um, uh, over there in Malaysia in Kuala Lumpur on Anzac Day, um, which we lost, but it did feel a lot closer. Um, it, it was actually quite a high-scoring game, which was nice for a women's uh, match. Um, we had some really, really standout players from that game. Um, and then we have what's called a cannonball run, so Vietnam being our closest um, competitors geogra- geographically. So we do a cannonball run. So they came here first um, and we actually won by four points. It was a really close game. And then two weeks ago, we went back over to Vietnam for the second um, game and we won that as well, uh, 26 to 7. We, we probably had our best game for the year two weeks ago. So, um, you know, our preparation for the champs on Saturday couldn't be any better. We're really kind of hitting champs right at our peak of our season. And who are the, some of the some of the players that have shown some good form in uh, in the recent matches to look forward to at this uh, championships in Thailand? Yeah, I mean, we've had some. All, all the girls have had easily their best season. We're really seeing improvement um, across the entire list. Um, but this year, there's a, there's definitely a few standouts. Our captain this year, Niet, um, she's had an absolute standout year. Um, she was always uh, a force to be reckoned with. Um, but this year, she's just brought her game up another level. She runs everywhere. She tackles hard, and she's really worked on her kicking. Um, we have a couple of expat players that have really come into their own this year. Ruby's one to look out for. Kelsey's another. Um, Kelsey's just really consistent, really reliable. She can kind of play anywhere. Um, our Kamai players, I, I think there's two that stands out at the moment. Um, Ray Mick is one of our on-ballers. Uh, she's just a warrior. She can run, honestly, all day. She's a great tackler. Gets a quick handball out. She plays that kind of in and under role really amazingly. And also Net. She, I mean, I don't want to say it, but I think she's probably almost one of the best half-back flanks in the competition. Um, she's just a natural, natural footballer, and she cleans up and really rebounds those attacks back out of our defensive half so naturally. Um, and she's got one of the, one of the great left... Uh, kicks in the game too. So those are the kind of the names I'd be looking out for coming Saturday. And what are your expectations for the side going into the tournament considering that you played obviously in the past against the likes of Malaysia mm-hmm. uh, against uh, Hong Kong and Vietnam as you said you've beaten the reigning champions and of course you've got a couple of newbies yep. that you're up against in Singapore and the home side Thailand. Mm-hmm. Yeah um, we, we're honestly really eager. Last year I think you know the girls didn't really know what to expect. 
Um, but this year we're, we're really, really eager, especially with, as you said, our win over Vietnam a couple of weeks ago. Um, our joy isn't looking too bad. Uh, we have Vietnam, Hong Kong and Singapore, I believe, um, in our round robin. So, I mean, a good mix. Um, Hong Kong, will, they were so strong last year. Um, they It was a real shame. They kind of missed out on that um, grand final win by, a, a, I think, one minute left in the game or something like that. So they'll always be tough. Vietnam, we love playing Vietnam. Um, you know, they're our neighbours, but we they always bring a solid game. But um, they've also become really quite close friends. So we love playing against them every, um, every time we get a chance. And the others, I mean, as you said, yeah, we haven't seen Thailand playing. We haven't seen, seen Singapore play. Um, but I think looking at their squad that they're taking, I mean, Singapore is such a force, we reckon, within the men's competition that we can only imagine that their women's team will be quite, quite strong as well. And finally, before we let you go, we want to talk about the influence of the AFL women's competition on the region. How has it helped boost numbers? And what do the locals actually think when they get to see, whether it be on TV or streaming via their laptop, the actual game being played at a semi-professional level back home? Uh, when when we first started it, the Khmer girls, they really they didn't have any concept of, they never even heard of the sport, you know, even holding an oval ball. Um, and then the first time we showed them, an AFLW game that kind of blew their mind um, of like where potentially it could go. Um, so just seeing the boom that footy has seen in the women's division over the last year or year or two, um, it's just so, so exciting with Thailand coming in and Singapore coming in this year. Um, you know, I think Ali and Indonesia, they're probably not close and uh, not far off, sorry, from having a women's team. So just, the excitement around it is just palpable all across the region. Um, it, and it's just amazing to give local uh, girls and also expat girls something um, to really rally around and with each other. Sometimes living over overseas, especially in Asia, can be a little bit um, daunting. But to have that kind of family unit, um, I don't know about the other teams, but the, the Apsaras, we are a family. And it's just, um, it's so much more than just footy. It's having that um, camaraderie, that family unit away from home that you can kind of go and see twice a week for training and um, go and see and have a beer on the weekend. Or we always see each other outside of the football club as well. Um, so, yeah, onwards and upwards, I think, for women's footy in Asia. It, it's just been really amazing to be a part of. Well, Hannah, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you and the Cambodian Apsaras all the very best this weekend in Thailand for the AFL Asia Championships. Thank you so much, um, and we are looking forward to it. Watch out for us. So you've heard from representatives from the Singapore Womets, the Cambodian Apsaras, the Hong Kong Dragons, and the Vietnam Lady Swans. But don't touch that dial. We've got coming up very shortly representatives from the Malaysian Warrior Women's Team and the Thailand Tigers right here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. There's jumpers, hoodies, and tees for you at leaguetees.com.au. Leaguetees.com.au is your place for retro footy gear with designs created by local artists that you won't find anywhere else. Plus, their unique range of women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. Get online and start shopping today. Leaguetees.com.au
You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. We're taking a look at the AFL Asia Championships to be played in Pattaya, Thailand, this Saturday, the 31st of August. Coming up, we've got interviews with players from the Malaysia Warrior Women's side and the Thailand Tigers. Also still to come in the show, Brian Barish will be chatting to the Philadelphia Hawks' Erica Saki about the recent USA Freedom Camp. Plus, we'll be taking a look back at the Queensland Women's Grand Final and previewing what's happening in the finals in the AFL Sydney and VFL Women's Competitions. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival as we continue our look at the AFL Asia Championships in Pattaya, Thailand this weekend. We've got on the line the captain of the Malaysia Warrior Women in Lindsay Clark. Lindsay, how are you? Um, great, thanks. And yourself? Not too bad at all, but more importantly for you, how are the nerves as you count down the days to the AFL Asia Championships? Uh, well, we're keeping them at bay at the moment. Um, there's a lot of excitement and buzz around the squad, um, but we're just trying to keep the nerves at bay um, until probably we arrive um, in Taiwan uh, this coming weekend. So, Lindsay, can you tell us a little bit about your sporting background before finding Australian football with Malaysia? Uh, yeah, so my background is um, athletics. So I came from uh, competing in kind of 1,500 metres, 5Ks and 10Ks competitively. Um, and then I found um, the Warrior women um, as they were just setting up um, in their original kind of starting few weeks. Um, tried out the game. It was a lot of people that didn't really know the rules. Um, so we all really started the journey together. And... Um, yeah, just fell in love with the game and fell in love with the team. It was, um, yeah, kind of a, a turning moment for me and a lot of the girls. And how far has the squad come since those early days and both not just the numbers and particularly trying to get locals to play the game, but also in the skill level and gameplay? Oh, I mean, definitely our team, and I can probably speak on behalf of all the um, teams in Asia, the improvement's been huge, especially over that kind of last nine months. I think having the um, Asian champs last year, bringing all the women's teams together, um, I don't know, it just created this drive, this hype of where players wanted to be. They saw other players better and kind of inspiring them to develop. And this year it's just been um, really, really positive, the improvement in play, um, just across the board really in, in all of the teams. Um, we've had a couple of games this year and you can it's just – evident in, in all, all the teams that progress is being made um, which is really obviously good for the sport and good for the game and the competitions that we get to. What's one of the lessons that you probably took out of uh, last year's tournament that's helped you prepared for this year? Um, well that's a tough one. I think as a team we learned a lot last year. Um, the games are really short um, obviously the climate we play in is, is not really that forgiving. Um, yeah, I think we came out of the blocks a little slow last year and that just can't happen this weekend. Um, yeah, it's hard to pinpoint just one thing. Um, I think playing your own game as well. Um, we got drawn into a couple of teams playing very differently and I think for us it's going to be really important that we play our own game and we play to our strengths. So how's the side uh, fared over the year? How many games have you managed to play and what's the results been? 
Um, so our most recent game was against Singapore, and that was a win, uh, 57-17. Um, and then we played in the Indochina Cup um, earlier this year against uh, Vietnam, um, which unfortunately was a loss. Um, and that will be, uh, we played Cambodia in May also, and we won that, but I can't, can't recall the scores off the top of my head. Um, so two wins, one loss um, as we move into champs. Um, and we'll be playing all those three teams again. And then we'll be playing Hong Kong that we haven't played this year. Can you tell us about the makeup of your squad, the numbers that you're looking at, and percentage of locals versus expats and uh, other non-Aussies that are playing the game? Uh, so we go with it. We go um, this weekend with a team of 19 players. Um, and within that, we've got four junior players. Um, so one of those has come through the Kick program. Um, the of the junior players, we've got two um, local girls, but that unfortunately is all the locals that we'll be taking this year. Um, unlike the other teams, we have not managed to retain many locals at this point um, but it's definitely something that they're looking to um, improve over the forthcoming seasons um, yeah in terms of the the rest of the squad Aussies how many Aussies have we got I think we're only down to one Aussie now uh, yeah one Aussie um, and then all the rest are a mixture of British and Canadian and um, American also um, so, yeah, we've got a bit of a mix in there. Absolutely. It's surprised to hear just the one Aussie in the side. And I should ask on that note, who have been some of the standout players for you this year? Um, well, I've got, I don't want to put any pressure on them, but our one Aussie um, legend, we've got Kim playing uh, in the forward line, and I'd be expecting big things from her. Um, yeah, she's for us. She's a standout player. She's reliable, kicks goals. Uh, she's really consistent as well, good at marking. Uh, she doesn't have many flaws, um, so I think she'll be a standout for us. Um, we've got uh, four new players, um, which will be their first outing at the Champs. Um, so a really good experience and exposure for them, but um, I think we might have another developing forward in there with a soccer background. Uh, that's Liv. So she will be um, hopefully making a strong debut. And then we've got one of the junior players playing in the Rook again, first time at Champs, um, Emily, hoping that she will go well as well. So a few to look out for. And what are the expectations for the side as you come into the tournament, going up against the three sides that you've played in the past, plus those newbies in Singapore who you've played once and the Thailand Tigers? Um, well, for us, the, the hope and the target will be to improve on last year's position um, and just get... Um, well, yeah, go as far in the tournament as we can um, and just make sure that we make improvements on what um, was our performance last year and the games that we've played um, this year. So kind of small goals within each of the games and, and hopefully get as far as we can through the tournament. Um, yeah, you want to make the final, that'll be, I think, on everybody's mind, but uh, we want to take a game at a time. And, um, yeah, aim for those small goals um, and see where we get to. 
And finally, before we let you go, oh, as you said, you've only got the one Aussie in the side. So for it being a, uh, essentially almost an exclusive non-Australian team, what's it been like to either on the TV or at home sit and watch on the laptop this AFL women's competition take flight over three years, seeing these women play semi-professional football in Australia? Um, I think for us, um, learning the game it has been absolutely awesome to watch this year and we've been able to uh, stream some of the games uh, online straight after they've played and um, it's been really educational. But from last year, I didn't see as many games last year. I've watched quite a lot this year and uh, even seeing the standard there, is, um, it, it, for us, it's really, really positive to see for um, women in terms of role models for the sport and role models for other youngsters as well. Um, I think it's really important that that continues to grow and inspire. Um, and it's definitely done that and educated us even across this last year. Um, we'll be hoping to stay tuned on to that for, for next year. Um, yeah, and obviously VFL this weekend, yeah, I think that's about it. It's um, For us, it's been important as well. A lot of our development has come not only from watching the women's games, but having such a supportive men's team. Um, that's really helped us uh, throughout this season. Well, Lindsay, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you and the Malaysia Warrior women all the very best this weekend in Thailand at the AFL Asia Championships. Thanks very much. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival as we look to the AFL Asia Championships in Thailand. We're going to be speaking to a member of the host country. The host team, of course, is the Thailand Tigers. And joining us on the line from the Tigers is Caitlin Sheridan. Caitlin, how are you? Hi, I'm not too bad now. All's good over here in Thailand. Very hot. We're just getting ready for our last training session now before the tournament. How excited are you to be hosting this AFL Asia Championship? Oh, I'm very excited now. It's my first year playing and, you know, what better way to start than actually getting to play in Thailand here where I'm living. So the guys are going to put on a great show and I'm really excited now to see how it turns out. What about for yourself, Caitlin? What was your sporting background? So uh, I'm Irish. Um, I've been playing Gaelic football since I'm about six years of age, I'd say. Um, so yeah, I've played Gaelic all my life and moved to Thailand last year. And a lot of the guys on the Thailand Tigers team had played with the Gaelic team over here. And then my boyfriend started playing earlier in the year. And I always had an interest in it, but never got a chance to play. There was never any ladies teams in Ireland. So when the guys are going to putting together a ladies team here I was more than happy to play I was very excited um, I first heard of the game when I was younger I remember the Australian team came over to Ireland to play the Aussie Rules Test you know they kind of go back and forth every year and there's a lot of skills that are transferable from Gaelic football to the Aussie Rules so yeah I'm really really happy I started playing I'm loving it so far and what's it been like to try and start a brand new team from scratch as an Australian football side in Thailand? Yeah, that was that was the hard part. We had a lot of girls saying, yeah, we'll be interested in playing. And once everybody came down to the first training session, we all just got hooked on it. We all absolutely love it. So the Gaelic team here has running for a few years. And it's uh, you have girls from all different sporting backgrounds like netball, soccer, rugby, um, basketball. So they all just started playing Gaelic football. And then when the AFL team started for the ladies, most of them came over to play AFL as well. So 
with players with a lot of different backgrounds, all just love playing sport. And what's been the makeup of the squad when we talk about Aussies in the side, plus Irishmen, those from other countries, plus more importantly, the Thailand locals? Yeah, so we have um, we have a girl from Thailand on the team. We have girls from the UK, girls from Canada, America, um, Ireland. I think that's it. And, and uh, one Australian on the team. So, yeah, it's, it's a big international team that's playing. We're going to have girls from the Philippines and Indonesia coming to meet us um, at the tournament as well who are going to play with us too. That is absolutely fantastic to see the spread of nations are playing in the Thailand side. How often have you had the opportunity to play together this year? Um, we actually haven't. <laughs> We've been playing just at training sessions. We play the guys in some test games and the younger kids as well. So um, we all just picked up the sport for the first time this year. So it's really exciting playing the game with the younger kids and with the older guys. And they're just helping us every step of the way. You know, we're kind of trial and error with the rules with us at the minute. We're playing and then I get stopped. So we get to ask the questions why. Why is that a free kick? So yeah, it's really fun. It's a lot of um, it's a lot of trying to play and then learning as we go. But we're we're all enjoying it. I guess in that case, it's hard to gauge form when you're just training. But from those that have been running through the training sessions, who do you expect to play well in the tournament for your side? To play well in the tournament, um, we have a girl Anna Shepherd who's been playing um at training sessions now I'm just watching her training and she's an unbelievable runner with the ball very fit very strong on the ball um, Chantel is another girl who just has a super kick can kick from anywhere on the field and a great catch and um, we know the girl Kim who's playing rugby she's very very strong at tackling and yeah we just we have great players all across the all across the board so we expect you know a very strong centre line going up and down the pitch and coming into this tournament, what do you know about your opposition? Have you been able to see much? I mean, obviously the games last year were filmed for the four sides that played. Singapore's a new team. So how much do you know about your opposition? I don't know anything about the opposition, if I'm completely honest with you. Um, just about two weeks ago, we saw who we were playing in the group stages, and that's about it. So I don't know. It's probably a good thing. We, we have no expectations of who we're playing against. We don't really know who the strongest are, so... We're just going out with like fresh minds, just going to turn up on the tournament and play whoever we play and see how it goes. It would be a massive effort if you were to, in your first year, win the championship, but possibly on a more realistic level. Have you set yourself some smaller goals of what you'd like to achieve out of this tournament? Yeah, well, mostly all the girls are saying, like, as long as we get a few scores on the board, we have fun while we're playing. Like, it's the first. I think nearly every girl on the team is the first time playing this sport. So we're just going to go out and have fun and see how many scores we can get on that board at the end of the day. And now, to be honest, it would be amazing if we get to a final. But that's, that's, the, that's the highest goal we have. But we'll go for the shorter ones. It's just getting as much score as we can in each game. And finally, before we let you go, as an Irish woman, uh, sitting back and seeing the AFL women's competition develop, it's now heading into its fourth year as a semi-professional competition. What do you think about the success from uh, originally Irish Corrigan, uh, pardon me, originally Laura Jaraya, then Cora Staunton, and of course last year, Ailish Considine winning the flag with the Crows. How do you feel seeing more than a dozen Irish women signed so far to play in the semi-professional league? Yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic now. As you know, the Gaelic football isn't a professional sport at all in Ireland. 
So it's absolutely amazing to see the top players in our country getting that opportunity to like use their skills and their ability and travel to Australia, play play over there and play really, really well. Like it's it's super for the country and it's putting the the AFL on the on everyone's radar back in Ireland. We've more girls looking into it and watching the games and you know, everybody has a lot more um, knowledge about the game. And then again, it's fantastic just seeing them being able to perform over in Australia and perform very well at that. Well, Caitlin, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you all the very best with the Thailand Tigers as not only you host, but take part in the AFL Asia Championships this weekend. Perfect. Thanks, Miriam, for having me. And that concludes our look at the AFL Asia Championships Women's Division being played this Saturday, 31st of August in Pattaya, Thailand. Just briefly keeping focus on the women's international Australian football scene, we'll turn our attention to what's happening up there in Canada with the AFL Ontario women's competition. Their final round of the home and away season was played over the weekend. Just the one game, though. Etipico Kangaroos, 3-8-26, going down to the Ottawa Swans, 4-19-43. Their semifinals will kick off in two weeks' time. The final round of the women's Nordic AFL is to be played this weekend on Saturday, 31st of August at Bolbro Ondensi where the Lionesses are playing host to the Port Melmo Lynx women. To the United States Australian Football League, and just one women's match played over the weekend. It was played at the train yard in Baltimore, where the DC Eagles 5-15-45 defeated the Philadelphia Hawks 4-5-29. Our man Brian Barrish was there on the ground to chat afterwards with the Philadelphia Hawks' Eric Asaki about her experience at the USA Freedom Camp that was held a week and a half ago. The USA Freedom Training Camp concluded last weekend in Racine, Wisconsin, with more than 70 players from all over the country uh, attending uh, to see who will be on the USA Freedom and USA Liberty squads in the next cycle ahead of 2021. And one of those players was the captain of the Philadelphia Lady Hawks, Erica Saki. Now, Erica, you'd played on the USA Liberty back in 2017, but this was your first go-round going through the camp cycle. Uh, How did last weekend go for you? Uh, Last weekend was great. I would be lying if I said it wasn't a really tough few days. Um, We landed on Thursday and went right into fitness testing. So coming off a plane and going right onto the field is always a little rough. Um, Friday and Saturday were definitely full, full full days. Uh, You know, right off the bat, we had a game on Saturday and we ended Friday with a game. So um, good stuff, but definitely mentally, physically really taxing. That's good. Um, I guess that's how it's supposed to be. Uh, so the, one of the things that, that it's interesting to me in watching a lot of players come through is, is obviously you're playing for Philadelphia, a team that is growing, is still developing, still has uh, you know, about 10 or so players right now. But uh, you went out there, of course, with uh, Lindsey Terse and, uh, and uh, Leslie Gartner. Now, these are two players that have only played for a season or two. What was it like to go out with players that you've helped uh, mentor and, and really really get to the point to where they can do right and play for the for the national team um it, it felt amazing uh you know to see leslie and Lindsay grow as players over the last year has been immensely immensely gratifying they're super talented athletes and to, to see them up there with the best of the best uh from all over the country I, I couldn't be more proud of my team and i couldn't be more proud of of how far we've all come in the last few years 
Now, this is the first go-around with Christina Licata as the USA Freedom Coach. Now, you played uh, under uh, Christina. She was on the coaching staff for the Liberty in 2017. Uh, you've also played uh, against her uh, in terms of, well, as a, for, with her as a coach with the New York Magpies. So you're very familiar with her. Uh, what was it like playing uh, for her and, and uh, as with her as coach uh, for this camp? Um, it definitely made the camp itself a lot less intimidating. Uh, you know, I, I know T well. I, I love the culture that she's trying to build. I love the culture that she's built with New York. So um, I feel really comfortable with her as head coach. And it, it helps having so much experience, having seen her on the sideline, knowing her feedback, knowing her style of play, you know, what she expects out of her players. Uh, so it was. I felt like it was a little bit of a heads up because we... We see each other all the time. So um, it was really nice having a couple familiar faces on the coaching staff. Well, well, we're uh, very proud of you and of everybody who went out to the to the Freedom and Liberty camp last weekend. Erica Saki, best of luck to you the rest of the season through Nationals and as we go through the cycle in 2020. All right. Thanks, Brian. Just quickly before our State League's wrap, we've got some AFLW signing news from over the past couple of days. Caitlin Greiser, who played for Melbourne University last year, this year was playing with the Southern Saints, and she's earned herself a AFLW contract with St Kilda for the 2020 season, thanks to the G-Train kicking 17 goals in the VFLW this year, which put her third on the league goal-kicking list. The West Coast Eagles have announced six open-age player signings, including three former Dockers, Emily Bonser, Beatrice Devlin and Emily Maguire. You may also remember that Emily Maguire uh, trained with the Aussie Sparks program that toured throughout the US a couple of years ago. Essendon VFLW footballer Hayley Bullis has also been signed as well as two players out of the WAFLW competition, Subiaco Ruck, Danica Pisconeri and East Frio defender Ashton Hill. And joining us on the line now here at RSN Carnival to look back at the Bond University Queensland Australian Football League Women's Grand Final of 2019 that was played at Leishon Park. It's great to have on the line from AFL Queensland, Ant Wingard. Ant, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's, it's good to round out the season in probably such emphatic fashion. So, yeah, I'm feeling good. Can I say the overwhelming word is shock? Not necessarily about who won, because even though Bond did finish minor premiers, um, a lot of the pundits or a majority of them did tip Cooperoo to come from fourth to win the flag. But in the way they did it. Yeah, it was a shock. And uh, it was almost hard to kind of see what was happening in front of you. Um, yesterday afternoon because I know just talking to, you know, a lot of the other coaches and obviously David Lake and Craig Starsevich, Fee McClarty, Bree Brock, you know, I think they all kind of thought Cooper just, but most thing, most people thought it would be, you know, a two-point game, really close, um, scoring, you know, came at a premium and for the game to kind of transpire as it did, I really think that it came as a shock and it got to quarter time. And I think a lot of people were thinking, what have we just witnessed? It was just manic that I think Cooper kicked full goals in the opening 10 minutes, which was, you know, pretty demonstrative. I know um, Craig Starsevich said that's probably the best quarter of QAFL football, QAFLW football, sorry, that he's seen uh, potentially ever from a team 
obviously coming from Cooper Reef. So, you know, they were on fire and they were so from the start and kind of just grew from there and, you know, you kick a couple of goals and life gets tough for Bond and, you know, they just coast away to an easy premiership win. 6-3-39-0 at quarter time. Now, for those that might have been uh, attempting to watch online via the stream or those just following the score on their phone, could have thought, okay, maybe there's a strong gale blowing to one end of the ground and Coops really have used uh, uh, that to their advantage. But the halftime store didn't help Bond University at all. It just put the full stop on the game, didn't it? 8 four fifty two to one behind. I think that's when everyone knew, wow, we're really watching something special out of the Kings. Yeah, I, I think so. I think you're right. And I think it was maybe like eight minutes into the second quarter, Jesse Wardlaw... Uh, took a mark inside 50, got a 50-metre penalty, kicked their third goal, and that put the Kings up 46 to nothing. And I think the writing was on the wall from there. You know, I know just talking to a lot of Cooper players after the game, um, I asked them, you know, was there a moment in the game where, you, you know, you knew you had won? And, you know, obviously they didn't want to get too far ahead of themselves. And um, the expectation was kind of that, Bond would try and, you know, they'd eventually get some footing in the game and um, probably to peg back Cooper's big lead was probably a bit of a stretch. But, you know, I think most things, most people and the Cooper girls probably thought that, you know, they'd get a little bit of a run on and that just never happened. I think they kicked two goals for the game, I think, uh, both in the second half and both, you know, when the game was decided. So... Cooper Roo were just superb. Bond, they just looked startled from the outset. I don't know if, you know, that was a confidence thing or, you know, they just didn't have an opportunity to find their footing in the game because Cooper kicked the goal in the first minute of the game. So, you know, they're already on the back foot. You never really know how much that affects kind of, you know, the mental side of things. And um, I think that Cooper is just a massive result. Obviously, they have so much history in the women's space and, um you know, after two good years, they made grand finals. But then, you know, to lose the grand finals, that takes a bit of a toll. So, so to see them um, back on the top is, is a, you know, a, a big plus for them. And I think good for the competition as well. Final score, 14-10-94-2-6-18. Interesting to read your article online via aflq.com.au. Uh, looking behind the scenes with the Cooperoo coaching staff and some of the surprise changes they made on the field. Yeah, it was really surprising, actually. Um, you know, Jess Wushner, um, you know, through the winter series and uh, for the probably a first month of the season, um, played across half back. But then in the second half of the season, she moved back down inside 50 and Tori Groves Little, um, obviously with the Suns now, she was kind of the opposite, started on half forward. And then in the second half where I Kings won five games in a row to make the grand final. She was really their prime mover um, off of halfback. Um, but Hayley Moore, one of their um, young defenders coming through to the Queensland under-18 state rep, um, she injured her ankle in the prelim win over Yoronga. And, you know, Michael Hewitt um, shuffled the magnets. They wanted a, a really good ball sorry, a, a good ball user um, across halfback. So, you know, even after kicking three goals last week, um, he moved Wush back to half back and Tory Grows Little 
um, to the half forward, and that was just a master stroke. We know how good Woosh is um, with her ball use, and um, she still kicked a goal or two um, in chunk time in the second half of the grand final. And in that that opening, you know, ten minutes of the game where Cooper just burst out of the blocks, um, Tori Groves Little, I think, you know, in setting up the game. She was just about best on ground, just her, uh, her movement, moving inside 50, kicking it to the top of the goal scale, giving the likes of Jesse Wardlaw and Emma Zilke ample opportunity to get on the scoreboard. She, her impact was, you know, just about as good as any. And, um, obviously Bush and Tani White, um, who kicked two goals last week. She was kind of the same. She moved to halfback. Um, you know, they were superb there. And, you know, obviously Bond's scoring opportunities were limited and that was definitely, uh, you know, a lot to thank um, for the work of Tony White and Bush um, across that defensive five. Jesse Wardlaw with six goals, Emma Zilke with three goals, and Paige Parker, two final quarter goals to cap off a very nice day for her. She took home the uh, grand final uh, best on ground. Yeah, she did. She was superb on a wing. She's another one that kind of got shuffled around a little bit. She's been kind of playing as a... Um, really speedy um, mid-size forward um, in the second half of the year and she's kicked plenty of goals this year but she moved further up the ground and I know Michael Hewitt loves her there because um, she pushes deep into defence when the opposition has inside 50 is you know, almost an extra defender and um, I know the I, I can't remember exactly who voted on the best on ground medal but I know there was at least six different players um, that you know, polled votes, which which was quite telling. Obviously, Paige played well. Emma Zilke, um, she was, uh, it was honestly a vintage performance from her. She was best on for mine. She kicked three goals from midfield, a bunch of clearances, um, and just, you know, had a real stranglehold on the game all day. Obviously, Wardlaw with six goals. Um, Walsh on the halfback, as we said. Jade Ellinger in the midfield, and you know, Ellie Hansen on a wing as well. That, there were so many good players. And, um, yeah, Paige was superb, her speed. And I think just her ability to break the lines and drive the ball uh, long down the field is probably something that really set um, her apart in the game. Final scores again. 14-10-94, Cooperoo, Bond University, 2 6 18 Cooperoo, can, can you believe it, And What was it, four weeks ago, were in a situation where they had to beat Bond, who were then top of the table, to get into the finals. Otherwise, they would risk losing to UQ and Kulangata Tweed, who'd both caused upsets. They did that. They came from behind in the elimination semi-final. They came from behind in the preliminary final. And then they completely destroyed the minor premiers in the grand final. An incredible story. An incredible 2019. It, it really was an incredible story. And, I was saying yesterday after the game to a couple of people, I think most people probably predicted Cooperoo to be in the grand final at the end of the season, but I don't think anyone would have predicted the way that they had to get there. And, you know, like you said, to come from behind in one five, to, to even, you know, wait until literally the last minute of the last game to win the game, to make the finals, and then two come from behind victories to make a grand final. Um, and, you know, I, I know ahead of um, the granny on the weekend, obviously those slow starts, um, 
in the two finals and, you know, even dating back a few weeks as well. The slow starts are really something that uh, I know Cooper were cautious about and, and, you know, pundits were probably cautious, um, you know, when they're deciding who to tip for the grand final. Um, so that was a really big focus for the team heading into the game. And, you know, obviously they didn't start slowly. It was the complete opposite. Their best performance all season, probably the most complete performance of any team for the whole year. And luckily for Cooper, they saved it for the right moment. And, you know, they're the deserved premiers. Well, and thanks very much again for joining us here at RSN Carnival, taking a look back, not at the grand final, but throughout the whole 2019 QAFLW season. Thank you very much for your work. It's been marvellous. And congratulations again to the premiers, the Cooperoo Kings. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. We'll have more Women's Australian Rules football on RSN Carnival coming up in just a moment. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. We're continuing our State Leagues wrap by first of all taking a look back at the UNSW Canberra First Grade Women's Semi-Finals. Uh, Quimbian Tigers in the Major Semi, 7-10-52 defeated the Balcon and Magpies 6-1-37 for the right to go straight through to the Grand Final. While in the Elimination Semi, the Eastlake Demons 3-8-26 went down to the Ainsley Tricolors 7-1 143. That means that the preliminary final this Saturday, 31st of August, 3.45pm at UNSW Canberra Oval. The Balcon and Magpies played the Ainsley Tricolors for the right to play Quimbian in the grand final. To the Tasmanian State League women's competition, the final round, round 16, was played over the weekend. Tigers 7, 16, 58, defeated Lauderdale, one straight six. Glenorchy 5, 8, 38, defeated Clarence 2, 5, 17. While Launceston 10, 20, 80, defeated North Launceston, no score. And that means the finals of the Tasmanian State League women's competition kick off this Saturday, it is Clarence versus North Launceston, 12pm at Bloodstone Arena. Joining us on the line now to take a look at the finals football action in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. It's great to have on the line Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, well, thanks, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. Great to have you back after essentially a week off for the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division, a bye between the final round and the semi-finals like they do in the AFL. Let's get your predictions for the semi-finals this weekend. It kicks off at 10 a.m. Saturday, 31st of August at Blacktown, Oval Number 1. Uh, it's the major semi-final for the right to go through the grand final, the East Coast Eagles versus Macquarie University. Yeah, look, I think this is going to be a really interesting match. Probably Peter for three quarters of the season. We thought these two would be the side, um, you know, that will be contending on um, grand final day. So it's no not, no surprise to see them face up in this major semi final. Um, I actually, I'm going to tip the Eagles here. Um, look, there's not much between the two sides, but the Eagles' form over the last half of the season is just they've become unbeatable. 
Um, you know, Riley McGartland, uh, their powerful forward, is, is part of the goal-kicking list. And um, they've got so many options, um, you know, in their forwards to kick those goals, to kick big scores. And, uh, look, I think it's going to be a really exciting game. Um, but I think the Eagles might just get there. One ten pm Sunday afternoon, the 1st of September, again at Blacktown, oval number one. Uh, this is the elimination semi-final between the Sydney Uni Bombers and the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs. This will, uh, I think this will be a very close game and uh, I think the Bulldogs uh, are going to win it um, and I think they've definitely benefited from getting their GWS players back and they've hit a bit of form this last month of uh, Sydney AFL footy. So, yeah, sticking the Bulldogs in a close one. Bit of an upset. Well, Lauren, thanks again for your company. We look forward to it next week when we take a look forward to the preliminary final of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Yeah, looking forward to it, Peter. To the West Australian Football League Women's Competition. Round 15, the final round of the home and away season was played over the weekend. Where East Fremantle, 5-8-38, defeated Claremont, 4-1-25. While Subiaco, 14-16-100, easily accounted for Peel Thunder, 4-3-27. Now, despite being a five-team competition, it is a top four. And both semi-finals are to be played this Sunday, the 1st of September. 1pm, it's still Blue Oval. It's the first semi-final between Swan District and Claremont. Then in the second semi-final, 3.30pm at Leaderville Oval, it's Subiaco versus East Fremantle. So now to our VFL women's wrap. Matthew Cox is unavailable this week, so we're going to just quickly go through the scores of what happened in round 16 before turning to some interviews with the coaches that will be taking part in the first week of finals beginning this Saturday, the 31st of August. Now, round 16 scores. Essendon finished off the season in emphatic style. 11-12-78, thrashing Weemstown just the one behind. Williamstown are on the lookout for a new VFLW coach with Amy Catterall telling the group on Friday before the final game of the season that she would not be coming back to coach next season. Hawthorne 4-8-32 needed to win this game to keep their finals hopes alive but went down to Collingwood 7-4-46 with other results this would hand Collingwood the minor premiership. Darabin 3-5-23 gave the Western Bulldogs a scare 5-8-38. The Doggies just getting away with the win there. The Southern Saints, 4-6-30, missed out in the minor premiership after they went down to Richmond at Sandringham, 5-6-36. The Tigers winning by a goal thanks to the agency of a three-goal breeze in that final quarter. Geelong, 7-6-48, did what they needed to do, defeating Carlton, 2-3-15, to put themselves a final spot. And Melbourne Uni, though, on shaky ground. They're only trailing by a point at halftime, and it looked like that they might fall out of the finals until they rallied in the second half, 6-10-40 defeating the NT Thunder 4-5-29. And, of course, the Casey Demon season ended last week, having the bye in the final round. So we turn our attention to the VFL Women's Final Series. In the second elimination final, it will be Melbourne University versus Geelong at Northport Oval, Saturday, 11.45am. It'll be covered by GoFooty.live. And at Northport Oval on Tuesday, we managed to catch up with Melbourne University coach and North Melbourne AFLW coach Scott Gowans. Joined here by Scott Gowans, the coach of uh, Melbourne University. Uh, Scott, still got hair left on the head after that close one against the Thunder on Sunday. Yeah, just. Uh, it's a little bit greyer, but that's alright. They uh, they came to play, didn't they? They yeah. uh, 
particularly the first half, it took a little bit of manoeuvring at half time to get things going our way, but uh, full credit to them, they were good. Let's talk about that game. Um, you had a lot of possession early. You kicked one goal, four. It just seemed like if you kicked two or three straight, that's it. You might have put the game away early. Wind seemed to be blowing towards that northern end of the ground. They had use of it in the second quarter. They got ahead by a point at half time. What was said? What was the mood in the room at half time? Yeah, we spoke about um, not focusing on kicking behinds. Um, for me, it was more about our ball movement. We went really wide along the boundary, mm. um, kicked to their out numbers all the time. So I spoke about taking the scoreboard out of it and um, going lateral, short 45s, changing lanes, all that sort of stuff that creates momentum. Mm. Um, and once we did it a few times, the girls got a bit of belief and off they went. But uh, sometimes you can you can tend to focus so much on the scoreboard because they knew they had to win. That was the focus was winning. Um, it really, you forget about the processes of doing that. And sometimes when you go back to the processes, it just clicks. Now, the stats might not say so, but Jess Duffin's game was huge, particularly in that second half. Some crucial marks she took in the back line. Yes, she did, and I think that's the key to it. You can't just look at her uh, totality with the possessions. It was more where she took them and when she took them, and um, there were a couple of really brave marks where she backed back and clunked them, and, um, yeah, she's a she is a special player. She's, um, she's one of those players that everything she does lifts her side, and when she makes the rare mistake, I think she went at about 82% efficiency, but when she makes the rare mistake you don't mind you you kind of wear it because you just know that uh, yeah, she's one of those players that can gain momentum for you. Sophie Abitangelo saw that you gave her a run through the midfield? Yeah and I think in AFLW that's where we see her as well um, so she's done it at times this year but yeah. I'm really mindful of um, of just not burning her out and getting her bashed up in, in the midfield so again through the final series um, yeah, no matter how many games we play, we'll do it at times during games just for a change-up. But she's just so clever sideways. And um, handball on the up, where grand balls are really good. She's very efficient. Her, her next step is probably um, believing in herself to take the game on. And I think, you know, I'd be... I'd be you're giving her a target, I think that if she can get any space and any grass at all to take it, have a bounce and get the ball in up forward and as you know she can hit the scoreboard as well when she's down there. So she's a very valuable sort of that half forward mid player for us. And we knew on Sunday that Britt Gibson and Jess Duffin came in as they were originally named as emergencies. They came in for Danielle Hardiman and for Jazz Gardner. Uh, I believe Hardiman was out with a cold, a bit of soreness there for Gardner. Um, what are both of them looking look like in the middle of this week? Yeah, they're, they're 100% both right this week, which gives us a bit of a selection headache because uh, you can only play the 12 AFLW girls. Um, so I think we'll stick to our policy of, of getting the development into what we need to, or what we need to get out of the finals as far as development for AFLW. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really hinder the side at all. It's just that it's just that you've got to manage it. So you can't take out a Jazz Garner and a Kate Gillespie Jones out of the same game, but you can take you know, a couple of the others out of forward and maybe a back, a Taylor Mercedes, for instance, which we rested. So it's it's just getting the balance right and um, making sure that you've got not. I mean, Kate Gillespie Jones is probably a case. She's an athlete, so she could probably play right through, but it's pulling her back. Whereas more Batemans and Alicia Kings of the world, you've got to almost push them the other way and say, look, you know, you're right, you are right to play. You don't need to be 100% fitness. You can get your fitness through this part of the year. Um, so it's it's finding that balance and high performance. Alex Feach has been really good with that. And he, he gives me the list of what he's thinking. And I, I pretty much go with it. We don't argue too much either way. But it'll be very nice to have Jazzy Garner back because 
she's uh, as you know a superstar. You talk about that selection headache. You've got she just qualified for the finals by playing that one game in Emma King. We know that she's the premier ruck woman in the country. But Vivian Sard's been doing a solid job for you all season. What headache does that present to you? Do you maybe have to tell Emma, look, let's sit it out, let's give Vivian a crack? Yeah, 100%. That's what we've done. So Emma King's situation, she could absolutely play on the weekend, no problem at all. But the benefit from, from what she needs to develop for AFLW, um, the science behind it tells us that the risk versus reward is just not there. And even if it was a grand final, you know, you, you kind of sit there and you go, the best rocker in Australia, do you put her in? But we've we just got to be mindful that that if, if she can get another 12 weeks of preparation under her belt without being belted up in a ruck, um, it's, it, it puts her percentage of likelihood of re-injuring re herself so low that it's it's almost that she's 100%. So I think that balance, just it just makes sense not to play her. Um, and as you say, Vivian Saad's been a revelation for us. She's developed and I just think that um, it'd be hard to leave Viv out of the side. She's a potential draft pick, so we'll, we'll we'll play Viv this this. We won't bring Emma King back in for this final series. I know it's opposition, but did Chloe Malloy's injury last year in a VFLW final kind of spook everyone of uh oh? If we do play too many of these better quality players, if they go down because the AFLW season is so short, that's it. They're essentially gone for a year. I spoke exactly about that with Penny Cooler-Reed a few minutes ago, so um, it does, 100%. And I think you've got to back the people that know. And high performance, that's what they're there for. And you know, they give me a list every Tuesday afternoon and say, this is what we're thinking. And you know, even if the they, they do a traffic light system, red, yellow and green, even if they're in the yellow, I'm, I'm probably more um, of the mind not to play a player or play them on limited time versus playing them. Whereas last year, I was maybe a little bit the opposite, push a little bit hard against high performance but yeah I'm just after seeing AFLW last year and having my first crack at coaching in it I think that you've, you, the fitness of your players is so important and you know Adelaide got it pretty right Fremantle got it right against us in round seven and it, it was the difference in the game so yeah it's 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 just that uh, balance which is not really a balance if high performance say something we, we pretty much run with it. I'll just bring up another I guess opposition player I should say for a moment because she was formerly, formerly a Melbourne University footballer Caitlin Greiser has finally got her chance. She's been announced as an AFLW footballer for the Saints. Yeah, the G train. I love her. She's. Um, I was. We had a conversation to her. What would be best for her? Whether she goes to the Saints or the Tigers, and um, or stays with us. And I said to her, look, our forward line's pretty loaded from an AFLW perspective of the players coming down. So you'll you'll play, but your chances might be a bit limited. Whereas if you go and showcase yourself at a St Kilda or a Richmond. Um, your chances are heightened to get drafted. And she did that. She didn't want to do it, but she did. And I think she's very glad she did. She loves it, loves it at St Kilda. And um, she's just a ripper kid. And, yeah, it's, you, watch, you watch players like that that are... Some, some people think they're one-dimensional. But she's a little bit like Jess Duff. And in the, if she kicks two or three in a row, everyone gets around her. She lifts the side. And um, she'll be a really big focal point for the Saints. And, uh, yeah, credit to them and well done to her. Let's talk about your opponents, Geelong, here at Northport Oval on Saturday. You've got the wood on them, two zips so far this year. Yeah, we had a good win early on by 40-odd points and then, again, a few weeks ago. So it's interesting, isn't it? I, I, I still look at their side on paper and, wow, they've got some talent. You know, and a lot of them I've coached before, Liv Purcell and all these guys. Matty Carrick, um, just really hard at it type stoppage teams. And 
Yeah, they're the type of teams that I think um, Hawthorne are similar. Hawthorne gave it to us a few weeks ago as well and beat us quite comfortably. And it's it's that stoppage stuff that, you know, it's not looking at the stats and going hits to advantage and clearances. It's more the way they do it. And if they're really strong and contested like they are and they get a bit of momentum, they're going to be hard to stop. And um, I, I felt in watching the vision, they were probably a little bit unlucky last time we played them. So I think we just need to, to bring our A game pressure-wise to halt their momentum and then when we get momentum we've got to take advantage of it um, and the first game early in the season you can't really go on that because the sides are pretty different Everyone, the personnel is a lot different um, but yeah Kate Darby's in good form so it's, it's a really it's a really interesting um, prospect I suppose for a game that I think will be quite open and I imagine that the clearances are going to be the key to it and yeah, either side can get on top and burst out of the clearances and get some good footy inside 50. Um, it might be a high-scoring game. It's an interesting thought, isn't it, that in the last month, every side above you has all had a bit of a bump coming into the finals. You had the loss against the Hawks. The Bulldogs touched up Richmond. Uh, we look at the Saints. They lost to the Tigers. And then Collingwood got done by Essendon of all sides. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? It's, yeah. it I think it also shows you that... Yeah, if you're off a little bit, you get beaten. Whereas a few years ago in this competition, when I was at Diamond Creek, that wasn't the case. That the ladder really reflected it, the matches each week. But um, it's a tipster's nightmare at the moment, and I, I generally believe any side that's in the six at the moment can win it. And um, there's no there's no real side that you go, oh, they're out of form. The Bulldogs have got are on a bit of a momentum at the moment, so they've got a great chance. And Geelong are probably the same. Um, and then you look at the powerhouses in Richmond, Collingwood and the Saints. Um, so it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? It's, but you're right, it's the teams that just missed out. Casey finished the season really well. So they, they finished strongly. And you look at their side and um, even Darabin. You know, Darabin with Elise Day back has made a huge difference. And I think that's just great for next year and where the competition's going to go. And what it'll do is the bottom end of the VFL this, this year, um, they might drop back a little bit to local level, but that increases local level. So all of a sudden we're increasing the pool of talent throughout the region that makes the young kids coming through somewhere to play, somewhere to aspire to, that they're playing and training with better players. So I think that's really important. I've been um, I've been really pleasantly surprised with the uh, the level of skill in the VFL this year, and I think it'll improve next year. Let's talk about just briefly for next year for a moment. Um, a couple of games you actually handed over the reins to Lauren Moorcroft, uh, including the game against GWS, the game against Geelong most recently. Everyone's obviously keen to find out who's the next big female coach coming through that could potentially get to AFLW. Uh, what's the thoughts for next year? For example, a Geelong Paul Hood end up stepping back, still a managerial type role, but allowed Natalie Wood to coach. For you, will you be coaching the VFLW next year or are you looking at to more sit back and hand the reins over more? Yeah, I'll, I'll still coach next year, but I'll give um, LJ a little bit more of a go. She'll she'll coach six or seven games next year. Um, excuse me. <laughs> she's a, she's very much a uh, an up-and-coming coach. And the thing I like about her is um, just her ability to read the play so I reckon it comes from her playing days she played a lot of footy back and they see the game very well particularly with wingers and things like that and it just made sense for her to coach the midfield at first I had to convince her to be honest she wasn't that confident with it but I think in the last six months she's really gained some confidence with it and North Melbourne is, is one of those clubs that all the male coaches um, there in the men's program they spend time with LJ and you know, Jared Moore the midfield coach he, he spent time with LJ and LJ actually had a week with him during the school holidays and 
it's so beneficial that it's not like it's um, idealistic or it's manufactured. It's actually genuine. And she picked up some really good stuff out of that. And I, I just feel that um, she's she's really just in the waiting. And um, Penny Cooler Reed's another one. Collingwood is, is a very good coach. Um, you got Nat Wood, obviously. So there are a lot of up and coming um, females there ready to go. I just think they just need an opportunity. And, and hopefully, you know, over the not at North Melbourne, I hope, but <laughs> but over over the the next few years, I think you'll definitely see them step up. And I reckon last year, if you looked around, there were probably the same people, but they probably just weren't quite ready. But I feel, and, and even coaching against some of these other girls, you can just tell with how they um, react to things that you do and what they're doing. You can just see it that they've got all the moves, and we, I reckon a lot of it is the confidence. And and it's and we all should be um, part of this sport. We should all be encouraging them to to step up. So I'm 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 really um, happy that the club are going to allow me to let LJ coach for six or seven games and um, let her work her way into it, and then we'll see what happens the year after. Scott, thanks for joining us, and best of luck on Saturday. Thanks, Peter. Also on Saturday, the 31st of August, with a 12 p.m. bounce down at Victoria Park. It is the qualifying final between Collingwood and the Southern Saints. We'll be broadcasting that match on RSN Carnival 2, WARFradio.com and the VFL app with our pre-game show beginning at 11am for that 12pm bounce down. Because there's no um, outer fencing at Victoria Park, Entry is free to the qualifying final, so get along there if you can. At Northport Oval on Tuesday, we managed to catch up, first of all, with Penny Kula-Reed, the coach of the Collingwood Magpies, and then Peter Searle, the coach of the Southern Saints. Penny, congratulations. Minor Premiers for a second year in a row. Yeah, I um, went and shake Tom's hand and thanked him for that, um, beating St Kilda on the weekend. It was very nice of them to let us finish on top. How does it feel coming into this finals campaign? Obviously, off the back of last year, a couple of losses and that injury to Chloe Malloy. How have you approached things differently this year? Not too much differently, to be honest. I think it's just more about continuing the program and the process that we have in place. And any any stage of the game, anything can happen. So you can't really think going what-ifs and putting people on cotton wool and things like that. It's just more about the process that we're going with. How's Brie Davey looking at the moment? Your former St Kilda Shark teammate um, copped a gash around the eye after a head clash against Carlton. Is is she fit and ready to go for the finals? Yeah, so you can hardly even tell that she's had, you know, any sort of damage there. And um, credit to the surgeons that sort of stitched her up. But, um, yeah, she's on her way to hopefully playing some final series. It just depends on the medical staff and how she's feeling. So we'll just wait and see. You've got a lot of tools in the side. Um, you think of Sarah King, Eliza Hines, Shani Layton, for example. Um, who are you considering to go with as your opening ruck? Well, that sort of just depends. Um, we are playing Southern Saints, who do have also a quite a tall lineup back forward and in through the midfield. So, um, yeah, I think we just sort of see how the how it pans out. Again, it's just an AFLW system, and we're just sort of seeing who would be available on the day and going from there. Let's talk about your opponent up against the Southern Saints being coached by Peter Sell. First of all, what does it mean for you to be going up against head-to-head with the coaches highly revered in the women's footy circles? Yeah, so I've been coached by Pete um, for a few years and I know the type of coach that she is and what she brings is so much passion and, and love for the game and, you know, it's, it's sort of humbling knowing that I'm coming up against um, someone that I was coached by and I'm really looking forward to the challenge and using um, the stuff that she taught me into, into the game but um, yeah, I'm just excited, you know, another final series for the Collingwood Football Club. We've got the boys and the netball girls all in finals this this um, this year. And so, again, it's there's a big hype around around the club, and yeah, just really really excited. 
And what does it mean to you as a Collingwood supporter growing up to be having a qualifying final at Victoria Park? Uh, I think it means a bit more to me than, than I think um, the average Joe. And number one, you know, when I reflect on my season last year, my most memorable moment was coaching at Vic Park for the first time um, you know I never dreamt of one playing for Collingwood but um, coaching Collingwood into into a final series is, is a dream come true and um, I've already going to reach out to Bucks and sort of say hey mate you know what's it like coaching in a final series and you got any tips for me and um, yeah he's been great in terms of um, any advice that I have. Talking about coaching tips um, halfway during the season a new AFLW coach was appointed Stephen Simons he actually took over the reins for a game against uh, the GWS Giants um, how much influence has he had on the game plan or trying a few things heading into the finals? Yeah, game plan, not so much. He's um, been great in terms of allowing me to sort of develop the, the team that I have. And, um, you know, we, we read from the same book. He's just a few chapters in front of me in terms of how we how we see football and what we what we sort of talk about in terms of, you know, just having a good morning conversation turns into a 40-minute talk about football, um, which is fantastic for me because I could talk footy all day. Um, he's been great. He hasn't really implemented too much in terms of the game plan, but just little um, strategies and tactics that he wants to bring into the AFL program and start that early in the process in terms of the VFL and just making sure that um, everything that we do is sort of towards our AFL program. Let's talk about that program because it feeds through from the Oakley Chargers. Uh, from the players that you have got from the Chargers this year, who's impressed you? Oh, you can't go past Gemma LaJoya and um, Nicola Zenos. They're just two little superstars. They came back from the championships up in Queensland and fitted straight into the team. And, you know, what they bring is, you know, footy IQ and the awareness around the ground that we sort of haven't seen or um, got from our mature age players in terms of their development through the through the Chargers program. Been looking and working closely with uh, Luke O'Shea down at Oakley and sort of just been watching them through a couple of games in the um, NAB League and yeah they were two standouts that I think not only from Oakley program but the under 18 championships but also now in the Collingwood VFL program. Do you think your VFLW players have matured through the year learning from that experience from last year? Yeah 100% our young and sort of um, I guess leadership group in Grace Buckin, Katie Lee and Caitlin Bunker. Um, Caitlin Bunker is new to our program this year and what she brings is, you know, that um, experience and attitude that anything is possible, head over the footy, goes and get it, goes to get it. And Grace has really just come into her own sort of um, leadership qualities in terms of just the way that she speaks to the girls, gets around the girls, encourages them. Um, I'm really excited for our young group to see what they can do. We've, you know, we've got some potential draftees running through our program. So, um, yeah, I think the word is excitement. I want to just jump back just for one second. I remember at the start of the year we were talking about Brianna Davey against the game against Southern Saints in round one. You were saying that Bree was going to spend a little bit of time observing in the coach's box. What did she learn and, and input from that uh, from that time? Yeah, so um, Bree's come on board not only just as a player, but we sort of want to help her in that development in coaching as well because I think for me, especially knowing um, how to coach the game, you can see the game differently as a player. So um, she sort of tapped into the midfield group, obviously playing the best footy that she has in through the midfield and just sort of worked, to, spoken to a young group about body work, um, about how to break a tag, how to get through the pack uh, the packs, you know, stoppage work, voice around the ground, um, how to be nice and clean. You know, she's one of the most exciting players to watch when you see him. And then you just add a Chloe Malloy and a Jamie Lambert to the mix and, yeah, anything's, <laughs> anything is possible. How do you anticipate the game will be played against the Southern Saints on the weekend? 
uh, tight contest, especially inside. Both both teams have um, really good mids. Both teams have a really good defence. I know that Southern Saints like to throw a zone in there, so we need to sort of work the ball out how we're going to break that zone. And then if there is a sort of um, how to transition from offence to defence, so we're going to be working a lot on our stoppage work, um, going to be working a lot on how we sort of move the ball around the ground, trying to break the um, zone of the Southern Saints. And finally, for you personally, um, as we said, back-to-back minor premiers, that probably put you in the box seat as favourite to be VFLW Coach of the Year again. What next in your coaching career? Do you look at AFLW or do you look at what Peter Searle's path was? She went for the under-18s boys to Western Jets and then went to Port Melbourne for a while, assistant coaching in the men's VFL. Yeah, I'm probably saying a little bit too much in terms of coach of the year. I think Pete's had a great year and I also think Tom's had a great year. So, um, yeah, I'm just glad that, you know, in my first year of coaching, I was awarded with that. But um, for me, it's just focusing on what I can control and having conversations with Collingwood in terms of the AFLW season, what that might look for me and just sort of working out what my path might be, what my career might be, because, you know, unfortunately at this day of age, there's not too much money in the women's sport at the moment. So, um, yeah, just sort of working out my options and what I can do from here. And just quickly, how are you balancing that with work and the part-time nature of women's football? Very difficult. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it hasn't been it hasn't been easy, I will be completely honest, but I think that's what I love. I love the challenge. I love being able to perform under pressure because I think that's where I grow and get better as, as a coach, but also as a person. Um, I'm lucky enough to have such a nice partner and support that, you know, I sort of dropped her off this morning. She goes, I'll see you at midnight. I said, yeah, I'll see you at midnight. Um, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky to have that support from home too. Penny, thanks for joining us and all the very best on Saturday. Thanks very much. Joined here by the coach of the Southern Saints in uh, Peter Searle. Uh, Pete, tricky conditions last uh, Saturday down at Sandringham with that three-goal breeze down the southern end. Yeah, it was. In our first quarter, um, you know, forwards lost a lot of structure, so we didn't make the most of the opportunity. I thought we defended pretty well in the second quarter, and uh, I think, you know, our ball movement into the breeze created a few scoring opportunities, which is really positive, you know, for our system. But, um, yeah, we let ourselves down in that first quarter. Uh, and then in the third quarter, we had plenty of of it and five out of bounds and the full kind of hurts you a bit so um, yeah we didn't make the most of the opportunities that we did have and then obviously at the back end that um, that uh, Richmond did make those the most of their opportunities and when it's windy conditions that's the way it goes sometimes. Obviously you would have liked to have finished top of the table but you're still in the qualifying final still have that double chance. Mm. In a strange way is it maybe a little welcome that the loss has happened there that okay here's the wake up call now it's we've got to switch on. Yeah look I don't think um, um, we ever need a wake-up call, to be honest. Uh, you know, we know you know what we're competing against each week, so the girls are you know pretty focused um, in that sense. You know, obviously we, we would have liked a home final, but um, we're pretty excited to play at Vic Park as well because we think you know um, you know we couldn't get our runners going last week because of the size of the ground and the wind pushes it all to one end. So you know, didn't allow Kate McCarthy or Jess Sedge or to get going, and you know, I guess Cat was our biggest runner and she was our biggest possession getter but um, get them into a bit of open space um, I think will be really handy for us. We thought Kat Phillips actually had a pretty good game across the half back line we saw that earlier you were trying to throw Kate McCarthy into the engine room. 
Yeah, we'll just uh, actually playing her as a high forward swing to the wing so we could roll one behind the ball. That's about it, really. But, um, you know, Kate McCarthy um, can be pigeonholed as a forward. Uh, and I think, you know, her first season in Brisbane, she actually played on the wing and kicked more goals from the wing. So, um, you know, she needs space to run. Um, so, you know, the, we can play her higher up the ground. It's great. And having, um, you know, Sedge, that was her first game um, for the season, first game since a long time. Um, so, you know, she'll be better for the run. And um, But, you know, if you can have one of them a bit higher and one of them a bit deeper, um, you know, asks the opposition some questions. You had a big win over the Pies in round one at home at RSCA Park. Is there much you can take out of that game, not only because A, it was so long ago, but B, how different the sides were? Yeah, no, there's nothing you can take from that game. Um, you know, their their side was completely different. Um, they were hamstrung by injuries. Um, you know, you look at, you know, the players I'll have running around this week, um, you know, they're, they're not just AFLW players, but they're A-grade AFLW players. So um, we won't even look at that game. Um, you know, we'll just look at the game that they played against Hawthorne. I thought, Hawthorne, you know, Hawthorne went close. They're a class side, the, uh, the Pies. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll look at the way they analysed the game and um, try and break it down from there. It was perhaps through injury and absence, but it seems like the backline shape has changed as well. As we saw in the earlier rounds, you had Clara Fitzpatrick and uh, Frankie Hocking back down there. It was a very tall backline. Uh, obviously, Clara went over to Ireland for a little while. Frankie had her ankle injury, and it seems that you switched Telly Lucas Rod to defence instead of playing a tagging type role. That smaller backline seems to have been working well. Yeah, um, well, you know, Tilly's um, a good reader of the ball and she's a really good user. Um, Darcy didn't play last week because um, she had a bit of a sore knee, but hopefully she can come in this week, who's another good user. And um, Mal, Mal Kai, so, you know, it's really important you don't turn the ball over in defence. We all know that goals are hard to get, so you don't want to give them away. So, um, no, we're, we're pretty happy with those, those smalls and um, it gives Isabella Shannon a bit of support, um, you know, who's obviously a young kid from the NAB Cup. So, um, you know, to be able to be surrounded by people like that um, for our own development is pretty important but what it does too it enables um, you know that when Clara's in the side you know um, they feel more confident to be able to you know be the run release players because they know that you know Clara's such a competitive person that um, you know they trust her in getting the job done on the tools. Opportunity has been a thing for the Saints over the last few weeks. Kate Sheilor, who we spoke to on the program, got uh, upgraded to the AFLW list. Olivia Vesely, and now Caitlin Greiser. Yeah, Caitlin Greiser. So uh, yeah, she walked into our club at the start of pre-season. Um, she told us her nickname was G Train. So uh, you know, it's great to have a G Train back in uh, red, black, and white again. But no, look, she's she's um, she's got some attributes that's going to make her a very good footballer. Um, she's extremely raw at the moment, but uh, she's worked really hard. Um, over the over the year and even in the off season, um, her fitness has improved remarkably. And um, you know, you got a girl that can kick 50 metres of one step in our competition is pretty impressive. You know, she only needs a couple of touches to change the game. But having said that, you know, she's been up there out with our high possession getters. So um, no, she, you know, she's she's pretty impressive. Um, but you know, I think what's more important is you know what what's she going to be in five years' time. Let's talk about upcoming female coaches. Of course, underneath you, you've got Georgia Walker, who's been looking after the back line for you. She's only 2021. 20, How have you rated her first full season taking over those uh, coaching reins? And, and where do you see the possible next step for her in her coaching career? Yeah, Georgia's had um, a great start. Oh, it's not a start to a coaching. She's been coaching for a long time, just, um, you know, at that cup level. And, you know, um, she coaches the Harbury girls. She's, you know, she's, she's doing multiple coaching jobs. But um, I guess at VFL level, you know, she's had a really positive start. Um, 
the thing with Georgia is she understands the game, but she also sees it. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that you can talk the talk, but come game day, that actually don't see it happening. But well, she can see it, and uh, she she can see it on the training track too. So she can have a coaching moments throughout the training track. So uh, Georgia's got a great um, coaching future ahead of her. And I know you're coaching against the black and white this weekend, but from you as a women's footy supporter, what does it mean to see someone that you were coaching against when she was running around for the St Kilda Sharks, Penny Kula-Reed, now being in the opposite coaching box going up against you? Yeah, she's doing a great job, isn't she? Like, they finished first two years in a row, so, um, you know, she's doing some, some positive things down there. And, it, you know, it's, it's good for her growth, it's good for her development. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's great to see other female coaches. You know, it's disappointing that, you know, most of the times you look around and you're still there's not many around there so no, um, you know I think Penny's you know obviously you know done wonderful things in the last couple of years and she'll continue to grow she's got a great footy head she sees the game too and um, yeah I mean really it's, uh, at, the question is uh, at, at what stage is, is she going to be ready or is what stage is someone actually going to take her to the next level in AFLW as a you know potentially a head coach. Peter thanks very much for joining us. Thank you cheers. On Sunday will be the first elimination final between the Western Bulldogs and the Richmond Tigers. Bounce down 11.45am at North Port Oval. We'll be live on air Sunday 11am with our pre-game show and bringing you all that coverage on RSN Carnival 2, WARFradio.com and the VFL app. We managed to catch up on Tuesday at North Port Oval with Tigers coach... Tom Hunter. Tom Hunter, welcome and thanks for joining us. Uh, congratulations, an important win over the Saints uh, as you head into the finals. Yeah, certainly. It was a, it was a cracking game of footy. Um, though the conditions were blowing one into the ground, it was uh, I thought it was a really tough contested game and that's what finals going to look like. So to get that experience and exposure um, puts our girls in a really good position um, coming into this week and, and going forward. Particularly with Mon Conti finding a lot of the footy. Yeah, she can find the ball. Uh, just how good she is from inside to outside. Um, just how clean she is as well and, and strong for a, a girl of her size so um, she's a really special player and, and we're really lucky to have her. Will she be available for finals as we know that she does balance basketball commitments? Yeah we're going to we're going to sit down and work that out um, today we'll speak with Mon high performance because um, we want the best for Mon in terms yeah. of her basketball and her footy so um, we need to make a decision on that and, and collectively make a decision we'd love to have her but um, we understand that um, basketball is a, is a priority for Mon as well. Let's talk about some of your other players as well. Uh, Katie Brennan she was actually away for a few weeks enjoying Hawaii you know yeah. tough life for some. <laughs> Yeah. How was she um, coming back uh, just before she hit the finals? I guess more just importantly, more of a run around, getting in some miles into the legs? Yeah, you had asked Mo- um, sorry, Katie, she would have loved to play last week against the Dogs, um, but we just we held her back and managed her through. Um, she played limited game time against the Saints as well, but uh, I think as the game wore on she just got better and better. Um, so that's that's good for us. Just a little, as you said, just to give her a run before finals is really important and um, yeah, we're, we're a better side for having her out there. There was a blip in the middle of the season where there was about three or four losses in a row just as Sabrina came into the side was it just a case of just trying to find the right structure of how Sabrina would work in the forward line considering something you technically had in place for already a year and a half? Yeah um, it was probably more it was also that time coincided when we started mixing other girls around as well so I don't think it was just the, the forward line we, we changed other girls we gave other girls opportunities so um, there are a few influences there and impacts so um, we think that the forward line is functioning better now um, and I think across the board I think we're now that we've settled we've starting to see what, 
what, what our side can do. Other players on the list have really been stepping up. One that's been racking up a lot of possessions as well has been Grace Egan. Yeah, we're, um, we're affectionately known as Greg. Uh, we love what she brings on field and off field. Um, she played um, in our program last year as an 18-year-old um, and then came back as a 19-year-old, moved down to Melbourne. We've got her full-time. Um, we can get a lot of development and growth into her, so that's been reflective of her year. She's been fantastic. How important has it been to have the experience of someone like a Laura Bailey in defence? Uh, yeah, we, we trialled Bales forward, and that was probably one of the things that um, midway through the year when we, we flipped her back. Uh, but just her, just her composure, um, her attack on the ball is one thing, but her composure and her smarts to recognise the state of the game um, has been really important for us. So, um, yeah, we, we really value what Bales brings um, on field and off field. Another player that's been standing up has been Rebecca Miller. Yeah, again, another lucky one that we got down from um, just a trial and um, 187 centimetres. We're pretty pretty sold on Alice in the ruck, um, but we, we recognised we had a need for a centre-half back and uh, we trialled her there and she played there and she um, she did really well. So um, she reads the game really well, she takes the game on uh, and she's a really strong overhead mark. Standout year for Taylor Stolf, 18 goals this season. Yeah, she's um, she just finds the footy. Uh, she knows where the goals are and she, the, the exciting thing is she's got so much growth in her motion. This is her first year in an elite system, elite program. She's learning what, it, what that means and just a, a natural talent's one thing, but um, I think when we get more time and more development into her, she's going to be a really special player. And just one, one last one before I let you go, because I know they're wrapping up here. We've been talking about the female coaches coming through the ranks and who could be next on the AFLW radar. Let's talk about a former AFLW footballer, Lauren Tessariero, who's been doing some coaching for you. Yeah, uh, you know, she, she wears many hats a lot. She's our recruiter. She's our assistant coach. Um, you know, she played earlier in the year. We're trying to get her back to play for AFLW as well. Um, yeah, she's, she's fantastic. She sees the game so well. Um, she understands what it, what it means to be an elite person, an elite sports person, uh, and that carries out through footy as well. So she's got a really good balance of, um, you know, seeing the game and, and expectations on the players, uh, and we think she'll be you know, better for it and, and a great long-term prospect for the club in, in any way that we have a... Thanks, Simon. All the best against the Bulldogs. Nice, thank you. So don't forget, you'll hear the qualifying final and the first elimination final live Saturday and Sunday from 11am on RSN Carnival 2, WARFradio.com and via the VFL app. That wraps up our show for this week. This program is available as a podcast by going to rsn.net.au, click on programs, then Women's Australian Rules Football. Or go to Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts and search for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. I'm Peter Holt until next Wednesday at 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. It's bye for now.